Fellas, say goodbye to Chuck Sherman the boy. I am now a man. I highly recommend you join the club. We are doing the wild thing all night. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Sherman. Sherman, I could build this food. Is that all you gonna eat? General Sherman realized and understood the importance of house music. So, do you know anything about techno? No. Listen. Get it on. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another brand new episode of Sherm in the Booth. I'm, of course, your host, Sherm. Today is Wednesday, August 5th, 2020. I cannot believe we are already into August, but here we are. This is episode 121, and I am so excited about this one, guys. I have a fellow podcaster in the game, but this guy is a veteran. He goes by the name of Haima Black, and he is the host of Chicago's first and longest-running music podcast called Dynasty Podcast. This guy has over 15 years of experience in the podcasting arena and so many awesome stories to tell in this episode guys we discuss his journey through the media and broadcast world and how he actually got involved in podcasting we also talked about how the online arena for growing brands has changed and how it's so important to target niche audiences we discussed the past present and future of podcasting it was really really cool to hear a guy who got involved really at the forefront of it all and how much he's seen change we also discussed some classes that he hosts, including podcasting and freelancing. And Jaime is going to be one of the first people to tell you it's so important to understand the business side of this industry. And he's got a lot of great tips that I'm excited for you guys to hear. Now, I actually took his podcasting 101 class last year and we had a great connection. I knew I wanted to have him on the show so I could get his full story. It's not often you get to interview another interviewer, so it was really, really a good conversation. I'm so excited for you guys to hear this one. This is episode 121 with Jaime Black. Ladies and gentlemen, Hyman Black. Cheers to you, sir. How's it going? This is uh, this is a genuine pleasure. Um, again, uh, before we went on air, I was just talking about how I took your podcasting 101 class. Been following you closely ever since then, and doing my research on you. And it's a pleasure to have another podcaster on the podcast. Yeah, it's always cool to do that. You know, I every once in a while I get to interview people who have podcasts, and you and I have talked and. You know, I interviewed Willie Joy maybe like a year or two ago. And, and Willie Joy, I've known him since he was a musician. And yeah. he's still a musician, but now he's also very prominent as a podcaster. And there's something kind of fun about getting to talk to other podcasters and be like, hey, you know what I'm talking about. You've been through this too. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, I listen to his back-to-back podcast pretty frequently. Oh, and yeah, it's he, great. Honestly, he it's, it's great. And to me, he really is the pinnacle of kind of the lane I'm in, at least. I'm trying to do it a few different things, but to me, Willie Joy is interviewing the biggest and best talent in the electronic music industry. I listened to his interview with Danny Deal, who I'm sure you're familiar with. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I had no idea Willie had lived in Chicago and really had a lot of roots here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was, God, when I was a young guy in my 20s, you know, like Matt Roan, Willie Joy, and Flostradamus were like three of the big DJ talents coming up in the city. And there was like, you know, cool kids and kid sister and Lupe. And, you know, it, it was a lot like I, in my head, I view that as kind of like the start of a lot of the independent music wave that has like carried over to the moment that we're in now Mm -hmm. was like this post Kanye moment um, where, like I said, you know, floss and cool kids and a lot of talent, you know, came out and they were just kids. They were independent kids playing 
you know, small rooms in Chicago, just like now, but, you know, we didn't have like the advantage. And I say we, me being a creator, not a DJ back then, but like, right. you know, we didn't have like Instagram and stuff, but Willie Joy was definitely very much in that space and very prominent in Chicago. So, so yeah, I have a lot of respect for that guy, but, uh, but yeah, I am glad to be talking to another podcaster as well. Look at you wrapping around the whole answer there and encompassing <laughs> it all. That is what I'm talking about right there. This is going to be a good interview. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Of course. Are you originally from Chicago? I am. Yeah. You know, I mean, I grew up in Oak Park, but that's like 20 minutes outside of Chicago. But but I've always lived in this area. I mean, technically, I was born like outside Detroit, but we moved to Chicago when I was a few months old. So, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I'm, I'm from this area for sure. Of course, you've seen a lot of different types of talent come in and out of Chicago. I mean, what's what's the city of Chicago mean to you? Just like the city itself, the music culture, the food culture, everything. Yeah. I mean, wow, that's like that's like a nine hour answer. I mean, the short version, <laughs> or I'll try to keep it short, is like, yeah. to me, Chicago is a city that it's it's built on hard work and it doesn't matter what space you're in. If you're in the restaurant business, the music business, the you know hotel hospitality, the tech space, on and on, you name it, like you're not gonna get very far here unless you do the work. And that's sure. that's the bottom line really no matter what kind of creator or industry you're in. And some people can be a fluke and get by for a while, but it's like the people who last in this city and the people who, you know, endure, they're creators. And that's something I've always seen is that people, they have to work hard. They have to be able to adapt and reinvent themselves. And I've seen a lot of music scenes and a lot of different kind of like culture shifts in the city over the last 20 plus years that I've been working in media here. But that's always the the constant is that like it's always people who are doing something new, different, bringing a lot of innovation and a lot of ambition and they're doing the work, you know, and those are the ones who people remember and who people, you know, like like we were saying, like cool kids and stuff, you know, yeah. those are the ones who who last and who have a long term career in the city versus just being kind of an overnight flash in the pan. For sure. I think there are a lot of, uh, you know, let's call them pillars of Chicago, right, whether it be oh, yeah. food and music culture. Those people who stay and still represent Chicago, you know, even the Barack Obamas, the Lupe Fiascos, the Kanye West, sure. the Flostradamuses, right? Like they wear Chicago on their sleeve and you know where they're from. And I think that's what makes Chicago, Chicago. I grew up, um, you know, outside of Indianapolis and I always knew I wanted to get to Chicago after graduated college. I mean, there's no secret, there's not much of a music scene in Indianapolis, but Chicago is really the breeding grounds for people who want to make it and people like we said before, who really want to do what they love. Because you can do it. You can build a name here. Like New York, LA, that's great. But the people that are living in Chicago always will live in Chicago. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, I talk a lot about New York and LA on my podcast. And I love those cities. They're fun cities to go visit. They're yeah. not places that I ever really had an interest in living in. Not because they're not, again, wonderful cities, but New York and L.A. are fantastic places to go work for some of the coolest companies in the world. Chicago is a great place to build your own company. Yeah. And that's what I love about Chicago. Yeah, I like that. Absolutely. Well, when did you really get your start, you know, in the in the radio personality world? I mean, obviously, podcasting really became a thing in you know, the early 2000s. What was it like for you? You're mentioning in your 20s, you know, coming across uh, the people like Willie Joy and stuff like that. Well, I mean, to answer the first part of that, I got my start when I was 15 years old. I got an internship at a radio station. Actually, my between my freshman and sophomore year, I got three radio internships, one at a college station, Loyola Radio, 
then at a major rock station called Rock 035 that's not around anymore. And then six months later, the DJ I worked with, he moved to a station called Q101, which was the alternative station here for like 20-odd years. Mm-hmm. And I went with him to Q101, and I was there for 13 years. And so I worked with this guy, this guy, Chris Payne. He was a DJ. And Chris taught me just everything about business, media, you know, being a personality, having a career, building a brand, all these things that now we have names for them. But like it wasn't called building a brand back then. But yeah. it was very much about like how to have like a specific personality and how to approach the media and the business of things. So I got this incredible education in high school doing radio internships for all four years of high school. I did an internship at the Metro for for a few years. I worked at the Onion as an intern here in Chicago for like a year or two. And then it went from there. And then, you know, a couple of years later, when I was in my 20s, I discovered podcasting or, you know, not like I discovered it, like I was not the first podcaster, but it was something that like I found podcasting, found out what it was, and I started it early. So for me, I was always like... I was 15 years old calling a radio station, not calling the request line, although I did that too, but I was calling the business line, asking to speak to their promotions manager, asking for an internship when I was a freshman in high school. And they're just like, what are you talking about? Like, what <laughs> at best, man. But I, I was just annoyingly persistent. And that's kind of how I really got my start in this world. And I've been working in it in one form or another ever since. That's truly incredible. I mean, do you know if you think back where that stemmed from? Was it your parents? Was it like a love of the, you know, television era or what? where did it come from? Yeah, no, I mean, I totally know. And it's something that I've seen a lot with the students that I have taught at Columbia College, because now I teach over at Columbia College, Chicago, here in, in Chicago. And I have seen firsthand that like when Chance the Rapper came out, for example, like that was this moment for this past generation. Like when Chance erupted, He's a hometown hero. He's a homegrown success story. And he uniquely belongs to that generation that's been in college, you know, five, seven years ago or whatever. Right. And and I saw that pride with Chance. And for me, it was when I was like in grade school in the early 90s, I discovered Siamese Dream by the Smashing Pumpkins. Mm-hmm. And at that time, every band was from Seattle, you know, Alice in Chains, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, etc. And then you had four weirdos from Chicago. And that was literally the first time I'd ever seen in action that you could be successful and you could have a creative career being from Chicago. And this Smashing Pumpkins 100% was like that Chance the Rapper moment for me, you know, that I've seen with so many students over the years where they got inspired to work in music or culture or photography because of like what was happening around that Chance moment. Right. So, you know, for me, it was Smashing Pumpkins. Like Smashing Pumpkins really put me on the path to want to work in music and broadcast because I was not going to become a musician. But, you know, radio, believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy to anyone younger. Radio (laughs) used to be cool in the early 90s and mid 90s. And it sounds it sounds absolutely insane to say like radio used to be cool because unfortunately, (laughs) radio is not cool now, but it was cool back then. And I wanted to be part of that party. Of course. I mean, the the amount of times B96 as an influence has come up for DJ that I talked to in Chicago, I mean. Sure. And yeah. I would say maybe still to a certain extent it has an influence here in Chicago. People don't listen to the radio like they used to, obviously, at this point with streaming and, you know, XM and things like that. But, I mean, that really is a humble beginning, if you ask me, I mean, seriously. It was a long time ago, and I was a kid, and I was just like, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to go do this. And, I mean, 
it, it seems really crazy now, but I just thought, like, what, am I going to wait till I'm 21 to get my first internship? That's six years away. Let me go do this now. I love that. I mean, seriously, like, were there some influences around that time? Any mentors, like, when you first started getting into those situations? Yeah, I mean, I, like, like I said, that guy, Chris Payne, who is, he was a DJ in Chicago in the 90s and 2000s and 2010s for a little while. But, I mean, he was a prominent DJ in Chicago. Now he's an attorney. He's very successful as an attorney. But I would listen to his show late at night in, a, you know, middle school and high school and he would interview, you know, Marilyn Manson. And he just was, his show was a party. And he would play all the, like, super aggressive Metallica songs and the Tool <laughs> songs that were not singles. And yeah. so for me, as, like, a long, you know, believe it or not, long-haired, alt-rock, death-rock kid from, you know, the suburbs of Chicago, just totally doing my best Wayne Campbell, I was like, fuck yeah, this is where I want to be. I want to be hanging out with the DJ who plays the Metallica songs, and every once in a while they throw in some fucks in there, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then I got to work with him and I got to I got to work with a lot of really great people when I was in high school and college. So I always felt incredibly fortunate. That was one of the reasons I wanted to start teaching was because I was like, a lot, you know, I see so often where people are like, oh, man, I wish someone had ever given me some mentorship or given me some direction when I was, you know, starting out. And I'm always like, man, I'm really lucky. I got a lot of that stuff. So yeah. I have tried to, you know, pay that forward in teaching and try and prepare these younger kids at Columbia for like what a career in media and entertainment and, and the creative industries is like so that hopefully they have a little bit of, you know, preparation for that. Yeah, of course. And I think that's such an important part to understand about the music industry specifically is the business side of it all, right? Like it's great to be an incredible producer and have an awesome mind, but it's debatably more important to understand how to get involved and how to, again, understand the business aspect of it. And that's huge. Yeah, I mean, that's something I see a lot because I teach this class over at Columbia College. It's called self-management and freelancing. And it's a mix of like 40 odd kids who have all different majors. So I have, you know, photography students, comedy students, you know, music students, management, etc. So I'm not teaching these students how to be better at their craft because a 19 year old knows how to use Instagram and TikTok way better than me. Like, I'm not going to educate them about that. Right. But they don't know how to read a contract. They don't know how to send an invoice. They don't know how to pitch a project. They certainly don't know how to price their work, build a budget. These are the things that we're teaching there. Yeah. And those are things that are so helpful. Like, I wish that I I had good mentorship, but I still wish I had known more of that stuff when I was starting out because I didn't know how to make a budget at 19. I didn't know how to build multiple revenue streams or build a portfolio. You know, like, those things were just lost on me. So, yeah, like... If you're 19, you've been using Adobe Creative Cloud for your whole, you know, adolescent and early adult life. So you don't need someone to teach you how to use Photoshop, yeah. but you do need somebody to teach you that, like, contracts are not written with your best interest in mind. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and I think that's really, really powerful information. I have a lot of young people who do listen to this podcast, and you answered one of my future questions. And, and it really is true. You do need to think about how are you going to make money from this stuff? And yeah. And it's it's difficult, right? Because a lot of people who aren't creatives themselves expect these things to be cheaper pretty much every time. I mean, Jaime, you could be a wedding DJ, you could be a graphic designer for clubs to make flyers, right? And pretty much 99% of the time, people are going to be like, that's way more than I thought it was going to be. Yes. I mean, I, I run into that all the time where people will hit me up and they say, hey, I want to launch a podcast, you know, for myself or for my company. Yeah. And I say, OK, I've got a class. And they go, no, 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 no. I want to do the whole thing, blah, blah, blah. And I'll, I'll quote them some numbers. And I'm like, look, I've done this for 15 years. I've worked yeah. with blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then 
half the time the conversation stops. And I'm like, man, I'm sorry. Like, you know, I've done this for too long to, you know, do this work for 20 bucks a pop, like some kid on Fiverr. And like more power to the kid on Fiverr who's working cheap because he needs to build his portfolio or their portfolio. But, you know, yeah. I'm not doing that. <laughs> yeah, you have to value your worth and, and of course, how much time you put in. Um, I want to ask about Dynasty Podcast, though. Chicago's yeah. first and longest running music podcast. What was the time on like between maybe the internships and when you started that? Well, you know, the so the podcast thing is interesting because I started podcasting in 2005. Now, sometimes people hear that and they go, oh, my God, that's amazing. Like that was so early on. And it was early on. But I feel like sometimes I get this credit that like I Zuckerberg podcast and like I invented it. And I'm like, not at all, because <laughs> you look at the reality. I was working at a radio station booking bands for interviews as the producer of the radio show. So I was already like doing broadcast work. I was already reaching out to artists. Right. I worked at the Apple store, teaching people how to use iTunes and iPods because that was brand new. Wow. And, you know, social media was just starting, like MySpace was just starting. So I was like already starting to promote my stuff on social media a little bit. So a lot of people, I think it's unfair to just make it sound like I, you know, discovered podcasting or something. Like it's more like it was a meal kit that arrived at my house with all the ingredients. I was already working at Apple and a radio station, interviewing and booking artists right. and posting stuff online. I just really had all the pieces to already put it together. It's right. just that no one was doing it in that direction at that time. Sure, of course. I mean, to be coined, really, and I mean, it is, it is, you know, legitimized. Honestly, you were the first and still longest running. Here we are. This is a music podcast. You're on it. I've been to your classes. I mean, it's pretty incredible. What was like the original reason you decided, okay, here I am, I've got all of the meals in this toolkit, now I need to cook this meal. Do you remember that moment? Do you remember that day? I don't remember like the actual day, but I know a lot of what drove it was that even though I loved the radio gig, and I still do, like I have nothing but like the best, fondest, most appreciative memories of working in radio, and it was, a, it was the coolest thing with the best people, so I loved it. Yeah. That said, the only kind of asterisk on that is that I was working as a producer. So by and large, I wasn't doing very many interviews. And every once in a while, I got to do an interview. Like one time, the, you know, the radio host, sometimes we would book, our show aired on Sunday nights. So sometimes we would record the interviews during the week. And one week, the DJ just couldn't make it. Chris Payne couldn't make it. He's like, you know what? You go interview the band. They can come in on Thursday. I can't make it a Thursday. Yeah. That band was Fall Out Boy. So every once in a while, I got to luck into stuff like that in 2003, you know? Yeah. But by and large, I wasn't getting to do a lot of interviews. And when you're 19, 20, 21, 22, that's when you're going out all the time. That's when you're, like, going to shows, going to clubs, going to parties. And so I was seeing stuff like Flostradamus. I was seeing stuff like that start to come up and happen around the city where I had not seen independent music like that emerging in the city of in that direction and also as crazy as it sounds hip-hop and and you know djing was not like it's not like now there was no fake shore drive there was no like flostradamus was very new in that space where they were you know two kids who mashed up a Seeger Rose song with overnight celebrity by kanye and twista and that went on MySpace and blogs, and it felt like we were discovering something. And I was like, whoa, yeah. these are just two kids playing the same parties that I go to, and I would see them out and stuff. Yeah. So for me, like, I was going out all the time. I was seeing this kind of stuff that wouldn't make sense for us to feature at the radio station, 
and that even if we brought them to the radio station, I wouldn't get to do the interviews. And it really was that simple. I was just like, I just want to do a radio show my way. Yeah. It's not going to be on the radio. But you know what? Like, we can share the MP3 on MySpace. We can say fuck as much as we want. And <laughs> if I want to interview some weird underground, you know, two-man DJ group that certainly is never going to go anywhere at all. <laughs> Obviously, I'm joking, right? Yeah. But I, but we didn't know that. Like, Flostradamus, they made a cool mashup. That's all, you know? Yeah. So I was like, let me just interview these two guys. Yeah. This will never fly on the radio station, but if I have a podcast, I can do that. So that was what it was, is that I just wanted, like, my own platform to do the kind of stuff I wanted to do that wouldn't fit in the framework of the larger operation I was a part of. Absolutely. Now, did it start as a music podcast? Or you've had lots of different types of people on, and you've had lots of different subsets of the show. What's been some of the reasons that you decided, okay, maybe I want to try entrepreneurs, maybe I want to try different types of musicians, stuff like that? Well, yeah, it was... A, a, Let's try this again like I've been talking for a long time. <laughs> Initially, it was a music podcast. And it was really just a music podcast. And so, like I said, we were interviewing, you know, Flostradamus, Kid's Sister, um, God, like Heaven 70s. Um, man, I mean, <laughs> I've done so many that it's like hard to even think I, of them. But along a lot of music interviews, you know, and then like this Gemini Club and Hey Champ Wave hit and Midnight Conspiracy. And long story short, I just sort of ran out of musicians. Yeah. I just sort of like, because I was really focusing only on the Chicago sect sector. Yeah. So I just was like, I started hitting a point where I was interviewing the same artists over and over again. And that was happening around the 10 year anniversary of the podcast, like five years ago. Yeah. So that was when myself and, and some of the collaborators I was working with then, we decided to do an initiative called Dynasty, um, God, what was it called, like Dynasty First? I don't even remember. God damn. But it was, I think it was called Dynasty First. The idea was just like to interview people we had not interviewed before okay. or maybe hadn't interviewed in like five years. We'd only done one interview with them. So then I interviewed a whole lot of like young new talent that was coming out right around, like I said, like that chance moment. Mm -hmm. But it just hit a point where like, A, I'd run out of musicians that I hadn't talked to and B, now, Chicago is not just a music city, whereas maybe in like the 2000s, everything was focused around music and even the early 2010s. Right. But then all of a sudden it became about like photographers and, you know, like writers and bloggers and, you know, videographers and, you know, promoters have always been around. So they're part of the conversation. And then tech hit the city. And so now if you say Chicago, it's not just a city where like it's not just Al Capone, Oprah, Kanye, and Jordan, you know, like it's, there's a, Chicago means a lot of things to different people. Yeah. So now it's like, if I'm interviewing only Chicago talent on the show, or at least on the main show, Chicago verse, it doesn't have to just be music because A, I'll run out of people and B, that means that I'm not interviewing somebody who's opening up a really innovative restaurant or hotel concept or, you know, an author or, a you know, somebody from, the tribe or you know the reader or something like that there's just so many people doing cool stuff here now yeah absolutely and that leads me to my next question and, and, and to honestly share my own point of point of view as well yeah I, I at first said okay i love talking about music i'm gonna do djs i'm gonna give them a platform to talk about that right and then i was like oh well i actually have a lot of other different passions i want to talk about health and wellness i want to talk about entrepreneurship i want to talk about business and this and that right and now I, to a certain extent, right, this is episode, I think, 121, Jaime, so I haven't done nearly as many as you. That's a lot, though. That's, a, that's an accomplishment. A lot of people start doing this, and they get to, like, four episodes, so. so 
they stop, right? Yeah, yeah, but it is. Yeah, thank you, thank you, I appreciate that. And that's the thing too, I enjoy it so much and, and throughout the process, I've kind of discovered what I want to get out of it, right? Because I for so long was searching for the wrong things. I was looking for people who could give me more likes, you know, really things that don't actually matter. And I said, I need to look back, what am I gonna get out of this, right? What am I looking to get out of it? Because I'm not doing this, uh, yes, I'm giving people a platform to talk about their story, but I wanna learn things that I can take on my own. So I switched a lot of paths, I interviewed different people, and I found myself discovering a lot about not only them, but also interests of my own. And my right. question for you is, you've interviewed thousands of different types of people. I mean, you're just talking about musicians, entrepreneurs, businessmen, photographers, restaurant owners. When you are setting up these interviews, do you have a template that you use or how do you kind of do your research and formulate your questions for different types of, let's call them verticals? I'm gonna give you a super nerdy but honest answer. So, <laughs> did you ever watch the show Lost? Yeah, of course. Okay, Lost is like my favorite show and I just never, <laughs> Like, I just, I got so into Lost. To the degree that, like, when Game of Thrones came out, people were like, watch Game of Thrones. And I'm like, nope, I went way too overboard at the last one. I'm not touching that where I have to read a bunch of books. Okay. I, I know what you mean. It was a letdown for me at Lost, to be honest with you, yeah. There was a lot there. But to answer your question, because you're like, wait, why are we talking about Lost now? Yeah. There was a rule on Lost, because I read a lot of interviews with the producers, where, like, the only mysteries that they were really dead set on answering were the mysteries that were interesting to the characters on the show. Mm. So they weren't going to like go out of their way to answer something unless like Locke or Jack or somebody cared about it. Okay. For me, when I'm interviewing people, I don't really have like a set, like, you know, I don't have like a boilerplate 10 questions or whatever. I just really try to think like, what am I interested in? What is this person interested in talking about? And what is the audience going to be interested in hearing about from this person? Because if it doesn't kind of check off at least one or two of those, yeah. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to ask someone about questions where they're going to be bored. And I don't want to talk to someone about something or if the audience is tuning out. I don't want to be like, oh, man, remember that time in, you know, 2007 when we were in the same elevator and blah, 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 because no one cares about that. Right, right, right. You know, but if I'm asking like, hey, you know, you crowdfunded this new book that you're writing, talking about how did you do that and what was the process like in building that, you know, process or whatever that's a bad example but you get what i'm saying like i'm trying to get to topics that are going to be interesting and beneficial to the listener and hopefully interesting for the guests to talk about and that i am not going to be bored by so to me i'm trying to like check off at least two of those boxes if not three uh, you know again i don't want to answer mysteries that you know the characters aren't interested in right but i did think about that a lot and i'm like that's a good rule of thumb for like storytelling it's like you have to make sure that you're actually serving a purpose with what you're talking about. Otherwise, no one cares. There's just too much content on the web that if you're boring, people are like, I can just watch The Office for the 400th time, you know? <laughs> oh my God, that's actually, that's so perfect. But I agree, like what I try and do is, and what I've really come into with this podcast is trying to tell the visual audio, let's call it maybe autobiography, right? Like, and I'm the editor and I'm trying to help whoever's writing this book, tell their story. And and right. I, I relate to you on that. And it's a tough job. And it really only comes to practice, right? Totally. Yeah. And I was not a good interviewer at <laughs> all when I started. I mean, really, I was not like my, this is my sad like name drops. But like when I did that follow-up boy interview that I mentioned earlier in 2003, yeah. it's not a good interview. And I published it on the podcast years and years ago. Like if you go look for it, it's out there. Yeah. 
but they did not have media training. I mean, this is for their first like independent album. They didn't have media training, and I had no interview training. So you had five guys in a room, and <laughs> none of them knew what they were doing, and it's a bad interview. And I, I was a bad interview at first, and I had to, it just like anything, right? Like, and we all know the ten thousand hours, blah blah blah. But it really, I only became decent at it by doing it a bunch of times, you know. Yeah. But interviewing is definitely an art, as you know. It's, yeah. it's not easy. Of course, and I think that's probably why a lot of people don't podcast for a long period of time because it's really fun for them in the beginning and more importantly to the people doing it, those who are listening and contributing, right? But you just got to keep it consistent. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, keeping up with anything, whether it's a blog or a podcast or a YouTube series or, or whatever it is, it's like, you know, I mean, I'm not, I don't want to sound like, I don't know cold or, or flippant yeah. by saying this, but it's like, there's just a lot of projects out there that have episode one, two, and three, yeah, and then dot, dot, dot. And I, I empathize, I get it. It's it's hard to do these things, especially when there's not a monetary return initially, yeah. or maybe ever. So I, I fully, like you said, like this has to be something, or really I think any digital pursuit, it has to be something you love because you might not make that money overnight and people might not get it overnight. People certainly did not get my podcast overnight. like. Now, you know, people are like, oh, my God, that's so cool. You started this 15 years ago. But in 2005, <laughs> really, people were just like, I mean, especially working in a multi-million dollar radio station that was like Kiss FM level, but I'm in the rock space. Yeah. There's a Kiss FM level station. And I was doing Internet radio that I was sharing on MySpace. And, you know, th there was definitely a sense of just like, that's adorable, sweetie. How cute that you have pretend radio on the Internet. <laughs> the adults are talking now, you know. <laughs> So now podcasting's legit and, and radio's all over it, but it was not that way 15 years ago. I know, seriously. Well, over the course of the past 15 years, who have been some of your favorite interviews then? Uh, right off the bat, the, the best interview I've ever done on the podcast, I 100% know it. It's Joe Shanahan in, God, it was probably seven years ago now, because I'm the same age as the Metro. And so seven years ago or so, they did the 30th anniversary of the Metro. They did, up, right? What's up? He's the owner, right? Yes. Joe Shanahan's the owner, founder, father of the Metro. And so, and you know, the Metro holds like so much significance for me. It was always someplace I heard about growing up because that's where the Pumpkins played their first show. So it really had this like mystical Valhalla quality that, that was never lost for me. You know, every time I ever go there, I'm just like, this is an important building. This is an important place. It's a temple. So yeah. I got to interview Joe Shanahan for the 30th anniversary of the Metro and we did it downtown Chicago in the loop because they had rented out a lobby of a office building in the loop. And they put up all these posters from the past 30 years. And they had all this memorabilia, tickets, you know, the flyer from the first show at the Metro, which was REM in 1982 for five dollars. I mean, just cool stuff, you know, wow. and called it the Metrospective, which is just so good. And so I got to sit down with Joe Shanahan for like 20, 20, 30 minutes or so yeah. and ask him. I mean, it was the Chris Farley show. It really was. If you've ever <laughs> seen those old Chris Farley skits on SNL, yeah. because he's done everything. He's booked, you know, Madonna, Nirvana, Prince, U2, R.E.M., everybody gave the Pumpkins their first show. So I got to be like, what was Kurt Cobain like? And it, and it really was just inches away from just being like, remember when you were in the Beatles, you know? But that was my favorite one I've ever gotten to do because it was just so cool. And he's such a 
living historian of music and culture in this city. And that's not, I mean, I love a lot of the interviews I've done, but that one always stands out as just something special where I'm like, wow, man, like, I'm so glad I got to have that conversation and I got it captured on audio and video. Oh my gosh, I know that feeling. And and honestly, Metro and um, Smart Bar, I I know a lot of DJs who have played at Smart Bar and just the experience, you know, I went to the the 23 hour party there last year actually. And actually I I shook hands with Joe because uh, a good friend of mine is a resident DJ at Smart Bar and it was when James Murphy was playing, you know, this is- Oh wow. I think it was 4.30 p.m. And for those who don't know, the lead singer of LCD Sound System, right? And he's playing Metro. And I'm like, what is going on, right? And I'm sitting in this historic venue. I'm I'm upstairs because James is playing on the opposite side of the stage, actually. And I just I just felt something in the air. I mean, it was like, it's I a know, special place. It is, and you you feel it. And I think that is that is such a, a important thing to understand about what's going on right now. Is there are a lot of metros of the world, especially in Chicago, and yeah. it just it, it it almost physically pains me. I think it does physically pain me when I think about the fact that those places need help and they run on, you know, shows and it's, it's just tough. Yeah. I mean, that obviously is a a larger conversation about the save our stages movement that's happening right now. And I think all of us, you know, we're rooting for them and we want them to get the support that they need on a, on a national level and the funding they need or forgiveness they need so that they can stay in business because yeah, everybody, if you've lived in Chicago for any amount of time, you have a metro store. You have a store where you're like, oh my God, I was there, you know, at Smart Bar at 4 a.m. and I bumped into Perry Farrell coming out of the bathroom. Or you're like, oh my God, I went there after Lollapalooza was over and whoever played a secret show. Like I got to see like them Crooked Vultures, which is like Dave Grohl, Josh from Queens of the Stone Age and like one of the guys from Zeppelin like doing a super group, you know? And it's like, that's insane. So yeah, like everyone has their metro story. That place really means something, especially now that like everything is so live nation and like whatever. I've seen shows at the United Center that are also amazing, but it doesn't have this. It doesn't mean the same thing as a metro show. And we need those independent rooms in Chicago and across the country. Like we need independent places. They're going to take a chance on a smaller band, whether they become Nirvana or not. It's just important that, that exists. Yeah, I couldn't agree more on that. And, you know, to that point, you take a lot of chances by doing these classes that you do, I mean, and I want to acknowledge you and commend you for that. Um, you know, the review I wrote about your podcast was I had doing, I've been doing Sherman the Booth for maybe two and a half, three years, I guess. I think it was last summer. And I learned so much from your class, just like simple things that saved me a lot of time and fundamentals. And it was just great to really have that teacher there because podcasting is something that you just kind of pick up and start. And there are not a lot of avenues, at least for people I know in Chicago, that actually have that teacher aspect. And it was so great to just raise my hand and say, hey, this is the issue I'm having. And you walk us through everything and be able to ask you, um, you know, what? when did you decide to start this podcasting 101 class? And what are some of the other uh, you know, classes you offer as well? I started the class maybe four or five years ago. And it was something that was just like a hundred percent just a what if it was just this thing that i was just kind of like throwing out there i pitched it to like 1871 a few times i went into 1871 and did a very you know early version of the workshop i don't think i got paid and i'm not saying they screwed me over like they didn't pay me i I mean i just i don't think that i was i don't think there was an agreement that i was going to get paid for it it was really i think just it was like a comedian just going to you know like one of these 
underground places unannounced and doing a 20 minute set. And you're like, oh, my God, that person was here tonight. And they're like, yeah, they were just workshopping stuff. So I just kind of like brought that workshop to different places, you know, here and there, like a college here, a tech space here and there um, for like a year or two. And, and not that often, but it was something where I was like, OK, there's seven people in the room. You know, no one paid to be here, but people seem interested in this. Yeah. And in 2000, I think, 17, Airbnb launched experiences here in Chicago. And for anyone who's not familiar with Airbnb experiences, it is this platform where you can purchase an experience through the Airbnb site. So the idea of it originally was that, let's say you go to New York. Well, maybe the first time you go to New York, you want to go to Midtown and you want to go to Times Square because, you know, whatever, like Times Square, any New Yorker is going to be like, that's cheesy as hell. But sure, the first time you go to New York, go see Times Square just to see it. The seventh time you go to New York, you don't want to go to the M&M store and Times Square. <laughs> Maybe you do, but you shouldn't. There's a lot more to do in New York. And, you know, same thing like in Chicago. First time you come down here, great. Maybe go to the Bean. Maybe. But if you're on your fifth trip to Chicago and you're still hanging out at the Bean, like, holy shit, you're missing stuff. So yeah. Airbnb wanted to create these travel experiences that previously were only in person until this year. And the idea was that if someone comes to Chicago, they could take a neighborhood tour or they could go to like a comedy club, you know, night where like a host will take them to three different comedy clubs and, and you know, introduce them to people in the comedy club scene. And I pitched this podcast class. They published it in the first round of experiences here in Chicago when the store launched in summer 2017. And, you know, thank God people started signing up. And then all of a sudden I had people coming to my house for three years paying to come and sit and listen to me talk about podcasting. And it's crazy because in 2005, I couldn't have paid people to listen to me talk about that. I couldn't have, like, let me give you money and let me talk to you about what this is. They would have been like, no, 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 I don't need this, you know? Yeah. So I launched that a few years ago, and now I'm trying to develop some, uh, develop and launch some new classes. I've got a live streaming class. Um, I've got a podcast promotion class, because the initial podcast class is much more about production. And I'm experimenting with the idea of doing a two-day 12-hour podcasting masterclass where we go through like everything the production the promotion the live streaming making a website analytics developing merch uh, building a subscription model you know like the whole thing i mean it's a it's a long list who knows if anyone's going to sign up for that yeah. and then i'm also developing some entrepreneurial and freelancing classes as well that i'm in the process of um you know, fine tuning and still working on a bit. But the initial class, the intro to freelancing class, by the time this podcast is out, will be on sale already. And you can get that at www.dynastyacademy.com. Um, awesome. You need to put the www because something with the forwarding between GoDaddy and the teaching site, but www.dynastyacademy.com. And that is the that's the thing that I'm really hoping takes off because I want to build this larger curriculum like we talked about to to help artists and, and independent creatives learn how to make their work a business. To me, like that feels like something important that I want to be able to contribute. That is awesome, I mean. Honestly, I need to take your live streaming class because it's something that I want to get into more because I'm pretty confident, like we talked about earlier, um, there's not going to be a vaccine for a while. And that means that international DJs are not going to be touring the world for quite some time. I mean, um, yeah, 
at, even at, once it's a vaccine, yeah, like it's it's not going to open clubs overnight. Yeah, so let's let's maybe see. Let's call it next festival season. International DJs will come to the United States, and right. what we talked about earlier too. I'm trying to you know broaden my horizons. I'm trying to reach out to other people, and now the opportunity is there because they're not touring, and that's such a huge thing uh, to try and line up times. If you're at home, you can make an hour, right? Everybody has more time now, 100%. This is a good time to be doing podcasts where it's like, you know, you can get people on Zoom or Skype or whatever much yeah. easier than a year ago when everybody's like, you know, traveling and in, in and out of airports and blah, blah, blah. But it's like yeah. now you're like, hey, you got 30 minutes and, you know, after or before dinner and they're like, sure, yeah. I'm just going to be on my bed in my PJs, you know, and you're like, that's fine, whatever, as long as you got, you know, you can talk into a laptop screen or a phone i mean i did an interview over zoom the other day and the guest was on the phone yeah it turned out fine whatever so yeah right yeah of course i mean you and i you and i know how to overcome little things like that right like we just want to get that we want to get that sound bite totally yeah and it's it's just i love that stuff like i've obviously always been fascinated by like emerging technology and just different things you can do with tech and it's so cool now that live streaming is like really finally like come into its own it's live streaming was always sort of this like you know in the back seat compared to like instagram and other like social and digital tools but now yeah. live streaming is really i think becoming pretty essential for most creatives absolutely that's that's a certain fact um you know i i really want to talk to you about kind of the uh the past present and future of podcasts Jaime, because sure. for someone like you i mean i started this Four years ago in September. Yeah, like, it's, gonna it's a be, long time. It's a long time, man. Yeah, it, it is. It is. And, and I put in the work, but I got to tell you, I love it so much. And every episode, uh, I, I get more out of it and I enjoy it so much. And this has been a great conversation so far. But I'm really interested because I want to ask you, and here's the timeline, right? I, I did, um, I, I watched one of these Spotify uh, presentations, so to speak. Sure. And they, they showed a timeline that I thought was really interesting and I wanted to share with you whether you were informed on it or not. 2004, podcasting is coined a term. Right. 2014, you know, you started 2005 with Dynasty. Ten years go by, right? People are kind of doing podcasts. I mean, I remember you telling me when in the class SoundCloud was flying you out to San Francisco. I mean... Very different times, but yes, yeah, at one point, yeah. But it was hot, right? Even between it, it became hot after Serial. Serial, the show from NPR. Yeah. Uh, like that really, I like to say that like that was, and young people aren't going to know what this means, but it's like Serial was Smells Like Teen Spirit for podcasting. Uh-huh, nice. Podcasting existed before Serial, but no one knew what grunge music was until Smells Like Teen Spirit broke through, you know? God damn it, Jaime. This is why I love interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> that is so accurate. And that was actually my next bullet point. Is serial popularizes the podcast and becomes mainstream. That same year, Apple puts it on iOS devices and it's non-deletable, right? And right. I remember when I first started, I think it was, I guess it would have been, um, geez, it's 20, 2020. I, you know, I can't keep track of the time anymore, like we said. <laughs> I remember telling my friends, they were like, where do I find your podcast? And I said, literally just pull your iPhone down and search Sherm in the booth and it will come up on Apple Podcasts, right? Yeah. Insane. So it's it's like, 2017, three years ago, Spotify launches podcasts. And for a lot of people that don't understand, uh, Spotify did not make it very easy to get podcasts actually on there. No, no, it was definitely something where you needed like an invitation and you could apply, 
Well, be, I don't even think the the application was open initially. It's like initially it was only open to a very small group of podcasters. Oh, then a, a feed, yeah. Yeah, a slightly larger pool of podcasters. And then you could apply and you may or may not get turned down. And now today in the present in July 2020, it's like, yeah, now you can put your podcast in Spotify. But they really were pretty, um, you know, they were not open to everybody. It was very exclusive initially. It was a Google Doc where I feel like I just like wasn't ever going to be heard, right? It was like sending in my resume to Google and I'm just some guy, right? And sending in your resume to like info at. <laughs> if you're emailing info at, you just know your email is not going anywhere to anyone, you know? If you reach out to someone, you're like, hey, you know, who can I reach out to about this? They go, oh, info at such and such dot com. You're like, oh, well, thanks anyway. Yeah, it was it was actually maybe a step below. Hello at Spotify dot com. Totally. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It has been received. We will let you know. Right. Like the most stock email. But right. now here we are in 2020. And just recently, the Joe Rogan podcast, probably the biggest podcast in the world, got yeah, bought yeah. for a hundred million dollars. Spotify is now looking into video podcasts on it. I mean. It's all Yeah, Spotify is like hungry for podcasts now. And it's really amazing that podcasts have now like they're legitimate, you know, but yeah. but Spotify for a long time was just music and just like everything it's like they're expanding and consolidating, you know, and they're absorbing smaller companies like Anchor and yeah. Sound. Oh my god, I Gimlet too, right? Gimlet, yeah, and there's like there's there's other ones, and I'm blanking on one of them in my head, even though I know I've I've talked about it in my class. But yeah, like Spotify, they are really just going all in. I mean, they want to win in the podcasting space, and so it's definitely a platform that like it'll be interesting to see how people promote and utilize their podcasts in the Spotify space. Because if you're a musician, I don't have to tell you, yeah. like if you're a musician, it's all about getting on the right playlist. Yes. People sure. don't listen to podcasts in a playlist, though. You know, I'm not listening to Office Ladies and then hoping that there's an episode of WTF after it. It just doesn't really <laughs> work the same way. Yeah, so of course. I'm, I'm curious to see, like, what the strategy is that develops where if, like, I'm not a huge podcast like a Conan O'Brien, how do I utilize Spotify to my advantage? Because it doesn't seem like the tools are there yet, but I, I'm... I definitely feel like they're going to be there. Like Spotify is going to right now they're focused on a lot of the creation stuff. Like, you know, like I said, with anchor with the God, the other platform that I am totally blanking on. I know it's got the word sound in it and I, I feel dumb not thinking of it, but a lot of the tools that Spotify has absorbed so far are built around making your podcast because we're still in the stage in terms of like the larger mainstream where people are still making, like they're still figuring out how to make them. But hopefully sooner or later, they're going to say, okay, great. You guys know how to make your podcast. Here's how to utilize Spotify as a platform to promote them and to get your show in front of people beyond just sharing a tweet with a link to the Spotify show, you know? Yeah. Like, what's our version of a playlist? That's a very good point. I mean, what do you think about Spotify as a whole? Because as someone who produces music, it's, it's, it's really not fair for the artists, right? I mean, you have to be a world successful pop star global artist in order to make money from streaming yeah you got to be a drake 100 percent. and you know not to be like well if you think artists have it hard but it's like podcasters don't make any money from spotify yeah musicians make 
next to no money. We're in the same boat, to be sure. I'm not being like, well, you musicians have it good. No, musicians need to be paid way, way, way more. So, like, we're all in the same boat that we're getting paid not near enough. It's just that our not near enough as podcasters means actually not anything at all. But I know musicians independently are... I mean, I've seen musicians I know who are independent artists, you know, who have their day jobs, and I've seen them share their checks, their royalty checks for, like, three cents, you know? And they're just <laughs> like, I'm not driving to the bank. It's going to cost more to use the gas for this, you know? Yeah. So I've seen those checks that come in, and I'm just like, oh, my God, like, that's so brutal. Absolutely. There, there is a, a one thing about podcasting that I think is, is maybe more advantageous in, in regards to the Spotify space is advertising. And I think these right. days... Um, if you look at how advertisements are placed within podcasts, people that listen to podcasts and look, I don't have advertisements that are hitting me up. I'm not mentioning anything on this podcast, right? But you got to be doing this consistently and let's just call it maybe on the Joe Rogan scale, right? right. People trust what he's selling and they, they yeah. buy in. I think Spotify actually shared it. It's 40, 44% of people at the very least, I may trust the product, right? I mean, we are so oversaturated with the Instagram ads, the Facebook ads, the Twitter ads, the Snapchat ads, the everything ad, right? Mm -hmm. But it's the host read. The host read makes all the difference because if you just played a Coca-Cola ad that some random voiceover, you know, yeah. artist that Coca-Cola hired reads, that doesn't really do anything on a podcast. But if you get Kevin Smith or Joe Rogan talking about like, this is my favorite such and such. Yes. People care about that. I, I mean, this is so embarrassing. I literally, this is a couple of years ago. I was <laughs> in conversation with someone and this truly happened. Yeah. I wasn't thinking we're talking about something and without thinking in part of the conversation, I just, you know, let out. Oh yeah, no, Kevin Smith was telling me the other day and I stopped. I'm like, Kevin Smith's never told me shit in my entire life. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, I don't have a relationship with Kevin Smith. We were talking about advertisements in uh, right. podcasting and how people are really actually buying into it. 40, 40%, 40 of people, I think it was 40 or 45% actually really believe and, and buy and take hold of these actual advertisements they hear. Yeah, and there's something about the host read that works differently for people than just, you know, a normal commercial that plays during like the big bang theory or whatever on tv at night on cbs right like that works for our grandparents but you know for us you know and even especially for the younger generation like they really need an influencer to, or someone they trust to sell them something and if an influencer says like hey this is the best windshield wiper fluid or these are the best sunglasses or this is the best suntan lotion it really doesn't matter what the product is if the host or the influencer or a personality can convincingly sell that people yeah. will respond or at the very least they're not going to turn off the podcast because it's still some form of entertainment because they're still going to hear Joe rogan or kevin smith or whoever you know give them some banter and i was starting to say this when we lost the connection a moment ago like it's embarrassing one time i was talking to somebody and i literally without thinking i started to say oh yeah well the other day kevin smith told me and i stopped and i'm like Dude, Kevin Smith's never told me anything. It's not a thing. But it, it, literally, you know, I've been listening to Kevin Smith podcast for so long that it just, for a split second, my brain just bridged it as like, right, when we were at Portillo's, Kevin Smith said dot, yeah. dot, dot, and that's 
obviously not a thing that happened. But right. people definitely built these relationships, you know, whether it, again, is a YouTuber, an Instagrammer, a podcast host. You know, these are the celebrities or the personalities now for this era versus a Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks. You know what I mean? Whereas, like, before they were, like, traditional, quote-unquote, celebrities, right? But now celebrity means something totally different. So true. And there is that psychological aspect as well when you listen to a podcast and you feel like you're in the room, too. So oh, yeah. Percent. Yeah. There's so many aspects of podcasting that I think are still undiscovered that, you know, again, like people like you and I are really at the forefront of. And it's crazy because you got to have consistency. And on that note, I mean, like without revealing too many details about your class, how do you be unique as a podcaster in what is now a saturated market? That's a good question. And I don't I don't want to say that I have a perfect answer for it yet. It's hard. I mean, in general now, it's like, any kind of creator or anyone really doing anything, you can get overshadowed so easily on the internet because all it takes is Trump to say something <laughs> or Kanye West to unfortunately have a breakdown on Twitter, which is, is sad. Right. Or Marvel drops a trailer out of nowhere and they're like, guess what, motherfuckers? <laughs> Avengers 4.5. Didn't see that coming, did you? And then the timeline is just that. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter what you have. If Avengers 4.5 dropped tomorrow on iTunes and none of us knew that it existed until then. I mean, look at the Taylor Swift record the other day. Yeah. Taylor Swift announced it that morning that it was coming out that night, you know? No promo. Right. So, you know, let's say that I had been working on something for six months and I was like, I'm going to announce it this morning at 10 a.m. I've had the date in my, in my calendar for four weeks. And I go to announce it at 10 a.m. And 10.01, Taylor Swift announces that she's dropping a new record. Well, my rollout is ruined. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's not just podcasting. It's like if you're a podcaster, you're not just competing with other podcasters. You're competing with just everything. And you kind of have to hope when you put something out that like Trump or Kanye or Marvel basically <laughs> isn't owning that, or let's say Elon Musk isn't owning that moment, you know? I think all you can do is like, you know, there's a lot of talk about like niche, like like having something that's niche. So the opposite of something like Drake, like I always tell people, you know, like my students, I'm like, your grandmother loves Drake. Like everyone likes Drake, right? You don't need to be Drake. Most of us can't be Drake. But it's like if you have 50, 100, 250, 500, 1,000 people who are actively engaged with what you're doing, that's more than enough to like Honestly, there's something to be said for having not massive Coachella-sized audience, which, sure, would be great for all of us, right? But you don't have to have that. You just need to be able to engage with, like, a smaller group. And if you can do that, but it's consistent and you have that niche and, like, you own that niche, that's going to really mean a lot, you know, like I look at like Andrew Barber. Andrew Barber has done such a good job of developing and sustaining Fakeshore Drive as a brand. And it's a brand that, you know, initially it just was a blog starting out. And then it moved into events and worked with Red Bull. And it's like now it's like this legacy thing that it doesn't have to just be a blog because it owns the niche that it's in. And, and you know, he's been very smart about that. And that's just one example. But, you know, like I look at the tribe, too. The tribe is not as big as USA Today. But they're so good at telling the stories 
that affects communities and like they know who their audience is in Chicago. And and there's so many examples. So in general, I think if you're a creator, don't worry about having 50 million followers because unless you're a Jenner or a Kardashian, you're not going to. Yeah. Focus on having like 100 or 500 actively engaged participants. And oh my God, like, I mean, look, like I discovered Kevin Smith movies when Clerks came out. I'm still listening to those fucking podcasts. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and he doesn't have Drake numbers. I mean, to be fair, Kevin Smith is a large audience, but he doesn't have Drake numbers. Right. You don't need that. You just have to own your audience. So in general, I think for podcasters, you know, I've had people take my class and they're like, okay, how do I monetize this? And it's the first thing they ask. And we haven't even like started the workshop. And I'm like, you don't have anything to monetize. You know what I mean? Like, don't worry about winning the Super Bowl if you've never picked up a football before. That's not a concern. But yeah. if you can say, hey, you know, I am a car repair podcast for people who own classic cars. Mm -hmm. That might not be a hundred million people in the United States, but I bet whatever number that is, if you can speak directly to that audience, holy shit, you won. Like you own that audience now and they're gonna buy your t-shirt, they're gonna buy your water bottle and they're gonna come see you do a live show or watch you do a live webinar and pay for it. I mean, that is, is such a fundamental aspect and I think that is a great bridge between podcasting and being an artist because it is all about these days. I, I think you said it, whether you know it or not, finding your lane in a saturated market just means finding the people who care about what you do, right? right. And there's this, this term that, um, I've interviewed this guy, his name's Evan Price, and he runs this uh, artist consulting company um, called Artist Collect, and, and his big fundamental aspect of it is finding your super fans. And right. one thing I really connected with him on was finding, you know, I said, hey, I want a thousand people that are going to pay a hundred bucks a month on average across the year to get behind the scenes footage of Sherman the Boot, to get a Sherm hat, to get a Sherm shirt, to come to a live show, right? Rather than a million people who will like my Instagram photo. Which doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything, right? Like, and I think that's a, a the really the best piece of advice you can give is do what you're going to do and make sure you love it. And we're really wrapping it all around. Right. And, Make sure you're targeting those people because, yeah, long tail marketing, niche marketing, right? You got to find those people who actually are interested in your stuff. And, and that can take time. And I think that's why a lot of people stop what they're doing because look at you, right? Ten years go by and people are like, yeah, that's cool. That's great, right? And then that next five years, people are like, wow, you're a pioneer. You're, you're amazing, right? It, it is. It's so weird. It's like, and, and that's a story as old as time of people like getting to the party too early and they look dumb, but then all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, you did this, you know? And, and that's, that's been the case so many times. And I will say this too, it often does not feel like it, it doesn't always feel like a win to be someplace early because yeah. you're doing all the grunt work and then someone else is gonna show up and like see everything that's been done and then just step right in and like earn money off of it. So getting there first doesn't always pay off, especially not right away. But I don't know, there's something kind of fun about, like I'll give you an example, live streaming. Obviously, you know, you know how to live stream, I know how to live stream. I was working with a couple of my friends, uh, Michael Wing, who's in the DJ group Autograph, who's also a tremendously skilled 
yeah. tech and digital media creator. So I was working with Michael and a couple of our other friends, and these are, you know, the other two individuals, they're very smart, tech savvy, you know, like creators. We were so we're four of us sitting around, and this was, you know, seven years ago or so, maybe six, seven, eight years, somewhere in that range. We're sitting around, we're messing with microphones, we're messing with my MacBook, we're messing with like probably Ustream or something. And it took me and three other equally skilled, intelligent, ambitious tech creators, it took us hours to be able to get three microphones to work with a live stream because we could only get two of them to pick up. <laughs> and and I bring that up because it's like now if you live stream, it's Live streaming is still a little tricky, but it's not near as impenetrable as it was back then. But there's also something that was kind of fun about like just sitting down and being like, huh, we got to solve a puzzle and there's no box with the picture on it. And there's not even any art on the puzzle pieces. And we're wearing blindfolds. Go. But I, I always love being in that space where it's frustrating. But then you build this thing and you're like, oh, cool. I got this thing made. So I, I like being early, even though often it's a lot more fucking work and it it's more of a pain in the ass yeah it's like hosting a pregame right everybody uh everybody's like wow whose party is this and you're like oh time Ace place like wow this party's so great right i didn't even know i didn't know it was gonna go down tonight that's i love that actually yeah no totally but you know this is a good time i mean just in general for anyone who's listening it's like this is a good time to be a creator and if as you've said if you're starting to create anything, a blog, a YouTube channel, a newsletter, a podcast, whatever it is, and you're hoping to get paid within a week or five days or two days or a month, it's like you might be waiting, but work on building something sustainable long term that you care about mm -hmm. and you will find those monetization avenues because they will come. People want to give money to things that are going to stick around made by people who, you know, the audience knows that they care about that thing, you know. Nobody wants to give money to something if it's been around three days and it doesn't seem like the creator cares and it doesn't seem like it's going to last. Yeah, I mean, that is that is such a true statement. And, and I think that's great advice. Really, my last question for you was, Jaime, was what would be your advice for someone who's been doing this as long that maybe wants to get involved now? And to give you an example, um, one of our mutual friends, who I think you just met, Brian Garecki, a birthday party. The, uh, sure. Well, yeah, I've known Brian. Yeah. Brian was interested in uh, starting a podcast and I know he talked to you, right? Like maybe give an example of what you guys talked about because I know he's trying to be unique and there are a lot of people who reach out to me about podcasts these days. Yeah, I mean, in general, I think if you want to become, if you want to become a creator or you are a creator who is, you know, making one thing, but you want to move into a different space, here's how I'm looking at it, especially this year in this moment in time. Man, there has never been a better time to sit down, stay home, and watch a shit ton of YouTube tutorials on things you don't know about, <laughs> tune into free webinars, yeah. and have some Google Docs open and take notes. And yeah. man, I am not kidding. It's like I am taking free work, and I'm literally going to like drop some names because for real, you should be not saying you, but yeah. in general, people should be doing this. Google Garage. Google dig let's try it again. Google Digital Garage. Yeah. Google Digital Garage is a platform where there's a ton of free workshops and webinars and courses on digital media skills and you can get certified there. Coursera Plus. Coursera is a 
online course platform, but if you pay for Coursera Plus, which is $400, so I know money's tight right now. I'm not saying everyone can do that. Sure. But if you got 400 bucks and you're like, well, should I buy some shoes that no one's going to see for a year and a half? God, if we're lucky. Or <laughs> should I put that money in something? You know, if it's not Bitcoin, Coursera Plus, $400, you get access to all these college and university courses from different universities. But the $400 gives you unlimited certification options. So you can take all these courses and then instead of, you know, taking a data science course and then you get certified and you have to pay for one certificate and then you take a machine learning course and you have to pay for that certificate, you just pay up front and you're like, hey, I took a year and I got certified 400 bucks for the year. And after a year, you say, hey, I'm certified in these six things or these eight things. YouTube tutorials. There's so many YouTube tutorials on any subject. So, man, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I'm playing it safe. I am staying home. I'm, I'm really nerdy. I'm, I'm being so nerdy about this, right? I'm staying home. And I know everyone's like so over this. And that's a whole different discussion. Yeah. I'm staying inside. And look, I'm bored too. But every day, all I'm doing is watching tutorials from all these different platforms and so many, you know, General Assembly is another one. So many of these, you know, different platforms and, and course sites and even universities, they're offering free webinars every day now. If you sit down and you take this year to watch a bunch of free webinars, try some different things, you know, experiment making a website or, you know, experiment making an online course or writing a book or whatever, guess what? When there's a vaccine or and or when it's safe to really resume life, you're gonna be like, oh my God, I got four other monetization revenue streams or I've got like all these new skill sets I learned. I don't know. I sound like an old man being like, stay inside and learn, kids. But if you're ever going to have the opportunity and boy, that's not a word people use a lot with 2020. Yeah. But I will use it in this respect. We're never going to have, let's hope, another opportunity like this where we all have a free pass to like stay home and not have to be social. There's no FOMO. I don't I don't miss any like I miss things. But when I see people breaking quarantine and going out and socializing, I'm not like, oh, why didn't you call me? I'm just right. like, oh, no, don't go kill your parents. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In general, like, I just think this is a great year to sit inside, watch some tutorials, webinars, take some courses, get certified, whatever it is. That information is out there now. Do this. And then a year from now, you're going to be like, Holy shit, I'm so glad I learned data science while I was in quarantine. Yeah. Now I own a Ferrari. I don't know. that Anyone who does data science is going to be like, that's not how it works, man. But you get what I'm saying. Of course I do, I mean, And uh, I think that is great and genuine advice. And I really do appreciate you just kind of sharing something that is so real because there is a lot of free information out there. And I think in the beginning, you know, as compared to two, three months ago, um, as where we're at now, I think a lot of people were kind of overcoming the fact that this might be real, right? And now it's it's, it's tangibly in our hands. Like, this shit is real. It's real. It's it's here. You know, I mean, look, you can go out and, and hang out and party and do whatever, but it's like there might be consequences. And look, for some people, there might not be. But I don't want to take that risk. I don't want to accidentally get my parents sick. You know what I mean? Like... So, yeah, this is a good year to stay inside. And then whenever it is actually really, truly safe to go out again, I am done staying inside for a long time. <laughs> so, but this is a good year to do that. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, and anyone can hit me up on Twitter. I'm happy to send you a list. You know, 
my Twitter is at Jaime Black, J-A-I-M-E Black. So it's not Jamie, it's J-A-I-M-E Black. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm happy to send you links to the different websites I am watching tutorials on, but this is a good time to do that, man. I'm hoping to learn some new skills coming out of this. I want to like, I, I want something to show for this year because, man, if I'm staying inside, I need to have something tangible on the other side of this. Yeah, I love that. Well, what do you have in store right now? Do you have anything you can announce? Any new maybe things you're doing with the podcast or anything? You know, the big thing is the the Dynasty Academy stuff, and that is the thing where you know I'm going to have some courses that I'm developing. And, and like I said, by the time this hits, the intro to freelancing course will be available for pre-sale. There's an early bird price that's available for a limited time. Mm-hmm. And really, truly, that course is a labor of love where I just want to help independent creators and you know people who are looking to freelance but maybe are intimidated, don't know how to do it, don't know how to price their work, don't know how to get started, don't know how to get paid, blah, blah, blah. I want to help people do that because my life, when I started building multiple revenue streams, when I started, you know, teaching the podcast class on Airbnb, not remotely, like, I'm not at the point where I'm like, and I bought a Ferrari. This is not one of these late <laughs> night commercials. I'm like, I did this and, you know, and now I'm Mr. Money. It's not that. But it did make life easier. So I want to help other people not be struggling because you and I both know as a creative, it's so easy to struggle. It's so easy to make something cool. And then you get to the monetization part and you're like, oh, Right. So I want to help people get past that and be able to actually, you know, I don't know, like make a living sounds lofty, but I just I don't want people to be suffering, starving creators because you don't have to be anymore. Yeah, I, I, I think that's really powerful stuff. And I think it's a fact of the matter, right? I mean, creatives these days, we have to work harder than ever. And I do think oh, yeah. to kind of wrap it all around. I mean, there are going to be a lot of people who stop and maybe go to that nine to five job because they were already paycheck to paycheck. And now if you can't even get the fucking government checks, like I can't tell you how many DJ friends I have, I can't even get a 10, I can't even get a $400 check a week. I may, and it's frustrating for me. I'm grateful because I've kept a day job. Yeah. It's given me the ability to, you know, be able to upgrade the podcast and do interviews and all that sort of stuff. Right. And put my best foot forward. But I've had a lot of points where I'm like, ah, I don't want to do my day job anymore. I want to put everything in. And there are so many musicians and creatives and artists and anybody outside of the cubicle, let's call it, that are now in a tough situation. Well, you know, I want to help those people because I have been there. When I when the last recession hit in the 2000s, yeah. I did not have the tools I needed. And man, I could, it took years for me to be able to like, get my career where I wanted it to go because A, the recession was not helping, but B, I didn't know what tools I needed. And so through a lot of trial and error, through teaching, freelancing at Columbia, through building my own projects and developing my own company, now I feel like I'm a lot better prepared. So again, if people want to check that out, www.dynastyacademy.com, intro to freelancing, I want to help creators not be stuck and and not have to, you know, I, I want them to be able to live to their potential and create their potential and not be suffering and starving. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I'm absolutely going to push that. Um, this will be a clip I share afterwards as well too. And, and I really commend you, Jaime. I mean, I, I do look up to you in so many different ways is really oh, nice. I, seriously, seriously, man. I mean, you've done so many things for the Chicago scene and um, just as a podcaster, right. Who's had a lot of moments in a dark room where I don't know if I want to keep doing it. And I see somebody like you who enjoys it through and through and gets a lot out of it. 
Um, it means a lot to me and it means a lot to, I know, a lot of other creators out there. So this has been such a fun interview. Oh, man. Thank you so much for the invitation. That's so nice. And it's so cool. Like, I, I love what you're doing because, A, you took my podcast class after you started. So I don't have any sense of just like, oh, well, I taught that guy what he knows. Like, you were already going. <laughs> and it's so cool to see what you have made with your show. And, you know, when I was scrolling through, like, the guest list i was like oh i know that guy i know that guy i know that guy like there's dom there's five there's yeah, you know, yeah, brian yeah. and you know and these are chicago people we know but then also you got some really big names you got like you're in that edm that nightlife world and so it's very cool what you're building and i have a feeling you're going to be doing the same kind of thing that or not the same thing i did but like you're going to probably come to that same kind of fork in the road where it's not just djs where it's like it's it's a larger picture because yeah. You run out of people after a while and or you go, you know what? A chef is not a DJ, but that dude's doing the coolest fucking restaurant concept I've ever seen. <laughs> Let's talk to him, you know? Yes, absolutely. And I, I got to tell you, I'm already at that crossroads and <laughs> kind of the of it, right? Like, this is my thing. I'm not owned by anybody and it's up to me who I want to have on. And I think it's so exciting to talk to people who are not just DJs, right? It's, it's fun for me, and I want to continue to get better and better, and it's it's people like you. I mean, I, I look through some of your old podcasts. You talk to rappers backstage at festivals. You talk to chefs. You talk to entrepreneurs, and I'm just like, you know what? If I can do it, I can do it too. Oh, anybody can do this, man. It's like it. I, I grew up very much, again, just to shout it out to Kevin Smith again. I grew up on Kevin Smith in his interviews and you know movie commentaries and then podcasts. Being like, man, I am just some guy from Jersey. If I can do this, you can too. And I'm not making movies, but it's like, <laughs> I love that idea that like, you don't have to, it's not this like cult of genius where it's like, well, Steven Spielberg is a genius and we're all idiots. It's like anybody, if you're persistent enough and if you do the learning and if you do the trial and error and you just get started and then you get better and you make mistakes and learn, we can all go create shit. And yeah, maybe it is or isn't going to become E.T. or Stranger Things or, you know, whatever. But it's like, just do something cool because the tools are all there. The knowledge is all there. Like, we've never had access to, you know, if you want to make a newsletter, you want to start a blog, you want to become a rapper, you want to publish music. Well, these platforms are all here. Most of them are free. Like, there's yeah. no reason not to do these things. I love that. I love that, too, man. Oh. I, I can tell you again, Jaime, thank you so much for making the time. It's such a pleasure to... Talk to someone who's so well-spoken and takes this uh, this business, this vertical end of uh, creativity seriously. So this has been such a great time, sir. I appreciate well, that's it. awesome, man. Thank you again for having me on. And, you know, we'll keep in touch. Like, Absolutely. I'll bring you back on the show. You got more to teach me. I would love to do it, man. And, you know, I'm sh just throwing it out there. I think a lot of my creator friends, yourself included, should be maybe thinking about developing, like, just – even like a two-hour workshop, you throw on Eventbrite. It's like, why not, you know? Yeah. We're all, I just think we're in this, like, education economy where we could all be learning so much from each other. Yeah, I agree. So. You know what? You're going to, you just continue to inspire me, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Multiple well, streams of revenue, baby, right? That's awesome. But this was, this was super cool. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. No problem, I mean, I'm looking forward to everybody hearing this interview, and uh, it'll be out next week, and we'll talk to you then. Awesome, man. Have a good evening. You too, my man. Talk to you soon. Bye.